Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Welcome to the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. I'm Marcello Rolando, your host, and as you know, the Reasonable Voices talk radio show is where we invite and entertain and welcome reasonable voices with reasonable solutions. But we don't escape the truth. We, we speak truth to power. My guest today is Dan Granny, an author. And he's a graduate of Stanford University, UC Davis, and uh, many years of middle school teaching. I did a few years of middle school teaching myself, loved it. He works uh, in university outreach programs and in a variety of community, nature appreciation and sustainability efforts. So that gives you some idea where he's coming from. Dan tells me we sort of met on Op-Ed News. Hello to all my friends over there, opednews.com. And I don't know exactly how that happened, but I'm glad it did. Dan has written a book called The Worst Generation. Good afternoon, Dan. How are you, and what is the worst generation? Tell me how you are first. All right. I'm fine, thank you, Marcella. Thank you for having me on. This is this is wonderful. Well, yes. who is the worst generation? And well, I wouldn't I wouldn't put that name on on any generation but my own. Ah. And you know, it's it's a time which which would be the baby boomers. I, I'm I guess I'm a tail end of the baby boomer myself, but. Uh, to use a, a title like that, I, I can't imagine that our generation is is morally worse than others. Every generation has its its examples. Wonderful generosity and beauty, and its examples of, of atrocity. I think what is maybe more unique about uh, about our generation is that we've had uh, unprecedented power through technology through sheer numbers our choices have a, an impact that is is huge uh, around the globe and uh and for individuals uh, in, in communities around the globe mm-hmm. and uh and i and i feel like we have not done what we could have done to to leave a a richer world behind us and you know, 
you had said in your intro there about uh, trying to come up with solutions, and that's that's the thing that I, I I try to live that way. I think I do in my day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. Uh, this book, um, I wouldn't say it, uh, in fact, I would say it doesn't offer solutions. Just uh, it's, it's a novel, not a platform. And, and although I have every hope that it can contribute to people looking for solutions, looking for ways to... to better the world for, for those behind us. Mm-hmm. As, as a novel, it, it is a cry mm-hmm. more than a directed solution. You know, uh, I, I'm glad you mentioned it's a novel because your lead character, Jenny Alhouse, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, tells her childhood story, but she tells it when she's an adult and like most of us, we you you grow up and you remember things that happened in your childhood, but you see them through the experience of now being an adult and perhaps putting things in, into perspective or responding strongly. But but anyway, Jenny Alhouse, your lead character as an adult, describing her childhood, accuses her parents of um, contributing to a myopic prosperity. What does she mean by that? And and I guess we should point out the worst generation, baby boomers, follows Tom Brokaw's the greatest generation. Is that where we are, sort of historically, in your uh, in your mind? It would be the chronologically the next generation uh-huh. in U.S. history. But this book is, you know, this is a novel. His is a is a collection of vignettes. Sure. Um, and so it's not, you know, I, I don't see that the direct descendant of that, although certainly the name echoes that, yes. Sure. Okay. Well, back to your novel and your character, Jenny Alhouse, accusing her parents of being a, contributing to a myopic prosperity. What does that mean? I mean, okay, I know what so, it means, but... <laughs> so my daughter was down at Stanford, and she got very involved in... He moved to divest from fossil fuels, and it's an attempt to reduce climate change. You know, I, I, I hope that, that your listeners are, are very aware of the potential threats with, with climate change, and yes. it's, you know, affirmed as a, a reality and a disastrous becoming reality by NASA and NOAA and the World Bank and Wall Street and, and uh, you know, just agencies and universities around the world. And so I I very readily got it as an alumnus, got involved in that movement also. And, and I was down there on campus and at this rally to try to get the university to, to make a statement here. Hey, we need to do something about this. Yes. Uh, it's endowment from fossil fuels, from fossil fuel extraction. And, and I'm looking around there and, you know, here I am, late 50s, and... Uh, and I'm with all these, you know, 20 year olds. It just struck me that here these guys are trying to do something better for the world that they're going to be living their adulthood through. Mm-hmm. And we haven't, I was feeling, we, we haven't lived up to that. And so that that really was a, a you know, motivational thought for me. Sure. And, uh, and then, of course, it's all in the midst of, of the, you know, last decade here of, of economic turmoil. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Again, that was a an example of 
well, mostly selfishness. Uh, and, and by selfishness, short-sightedness, your myopic prosperity. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm going to get and run, and, and of course, some people were able to do that, but on a grand scale, it, it was a catastrophe. Yeah. And so those are two huge areas that I think they're, they're fundamental to human well-being, your, your economic and environmental prosperity, your, your health there. And I, I feel like we have not created the world that we should have and that we could have. You know, a lot of people, as well as some scientific study, have said that this will be in many areas, some which you've already spoken of, but others as well, the next generation, be they called millennials or whatever, the next generation will not be as well off financially or physically as the generation before it. So when we pull all of that together, uh, you know, fossil fuels, danger to the environment, air pollution, uh, rainforest disappearing by man, but water and food and air and the economy and student loans as part of that economy. I know I've thrown out a lot, but it seems to me you are talking about those very basic day-to-day expectations and that we need to either change our behavior, if, if we have time to do that, or change our expectations. As you say, is the worst generation a novel that is simply a wake-up call, cold water in our face, or what is its challenge to us? Yeah, I, you know, first of all, I, I, I'll try to tackle that all. And, and <laughs> yes. that is, you're right, what I'm trying to tackle in the book. And it is, you know, all of those issues are issues that, uh, you know, our children will need to face, and, and their children even more so, and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, I think where, where I've gone with it is that basically, I'll say it this way, I think our generation, first of all, we're not all bad, you know? I yeah. mean, and, and, and I've gotten this kind of feedback from some of my early readers here, uh, you know, that, hey, you know, we boomers did a lot of good, and you can look, and, and, and you know, the technological capacities, I mean, you and I are, you know, are, are across the country and able to communicate like this. Yes. Earlier, but, but, you know, with the, the, all of the computer technology, medical technology, and, and treatments. Yes. Um, which don't equate with health, but, but nonetheless, medical advances, you know, arguably trade, um, our generation, it's not all bad. I don't want to try to pretend that. I don't uh-huh. think But there are huge challenges that we have not addressed. Either, uh, you know, deny them, pretend they're not there, look the other way, get ourselves involved in, in other worthy projects, but fairly small, you know, okay, I'll, I'll rescue puppies in my neighborhood. I mean, that's a good thing, mm-hmm. but, but there are systemic things that as a, a population of over 7 billion people, as a, as a world integrated economy, mm-hmm. we need to deal with larger things too. And those are the things where I, I think we failed. And, and you know, I, I pointed out or mentioned uh, the environment and the economy as, as two huge areas that need attention on a bigger scale. How do we do that? 
I know my my thought is basically, uh, I don't think you can legislate morality, mm-hmm. uh, but I think it is it is a moral issue, and uh, uh, legislation can support morality, but ultimately it's cultural, and we we need to listen to those better angels in us, and and. It, overcome that selfishness. You know, one thing, I think we've accepted that definition of, of success mm-hmm. as, as material wealth. And again, I, you know, I, I, we are material beings and we're physical beings. We need some material wealth. We do need to use resources. And sure. uh, but, but that's only part of what we are. And we are we are social beings. We are you know, and and we need to. Uh, here, let me let me give an example. Uh, okay, recently uh, in the news, the, the pharmaceutical industry, you know, the huge profits on the the rise in prices, Martin Shkreli and and uh, now the EpiPens, yes. uh, and in some ways, I can. Forgive, I don't know um, the, the the corporations for doing that because that is our concept of success, at least as a corporation. You increase profits, and you know if you're going to sell the thing and only have to make you know a, a fewer of them, but you're going to make a bigger profit by by selling them at a higher price. Mm. That's what is accepted, um, and uh, it, it, that. That's you know that follows our 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 economic model, mm-hmm. um, but it but it doesn't always work <laughs> to be good for for actual people, and that's where legislation can help support decency. Um, but ultimately, you know, people will find ways around things. That's what that's the way. Everything works. I mean, mm-hmm. evolution works that way. You find some way to survive a different way. And if, and if our goal is to maximize dollar profits, we'll find a way to do it, no matter what the legislation. Um, so ultimately, it, it's it's a matter of the human heart and uh, recognizing that we are more than just our bank accounts. Mm-hmm. We are more than just I myself. We are a community, and as I say now, with with the uh, the worldwide travel and, and economy uh, and and environment, um, because the issues are that big, then we need to be a, a worldwide community, which is a very different, or a very difficult thing mm-hmm. for the little tribal creatures that we are. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, but I think we need to go in that direction. I don't know if I'm being clear. It was a big question that you asked. Yes. I think that's where I'm trying to go. Uh, I think you're doing an excellent job. And I, I just think, as you say, these are huge issues. And I don't believe that uh, many in America, I'll, I'll stick with us for a moment, many in America who have concerns about the economy and even the environment really think that those concerns are global. We get kind of locked in that, you know, we are having terrible weather. Not everyone believes it has anything to do with climate change, but, you know, floods like this, the the severity of tornadoes, the rapidity of tornadoes, earthquakes will be next. I mean, you know, so 
I, I guess my question is, is, you, is, it is a global situation, and that isn't really what I asked, but that's how you answered it, and that's exactly uh, the point I was trying to get at. So you, yes, you, you got it. It's we're not alone in in being bad for the earth, as and we're not alone in being good for the, the humankind, but we do we do find ourselves all standing in the same scenario and yet not completely aware that there are other countries and other nationalities and ages in the play with us is that um i tell you what hold think on that one we're going to take a break we are talking to my guest the author of the worst generation dan granny and uh we're going to be right back. We're talking about the worst generation, which, as he has said, is not all bad, but not all good. And we've made certain financial, economic, uh, environmental uh, choices. And we are we are bequeathing our choices or the results of our choices to the next generations. And I guess that's the point. I hope Dan agrees with me. We'll find out when we get back. Stay with us. discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. Before John Favreau moved to Hollywood to write, produce, direct, and act in some of the biggest blockbusters of our times, he had deep roots in indie film, beginning with the indie classic Swingers. Chef marks Favreau's return to the indie world, now armed with all the lessons and contacts he picked up in the big leagues. Let's face it, big actors bring a lot to the table, so why wouldn't Favreau bring friends like Sofia Vergara, Dustin Hoffman, Bobby Cannavale, Oliver Platt, and Robert Downey Jr. into his new indie venture? And, after all, Hollywood has mastered the art of good storytelling, even if the stories can sometimes be as hollow as an empty suit. But there is nothing hollow here. Carl Casper is a top chef, passionate about food, but prone to neglecting the rest of his life. When a career blow-up bounces him to the bottom, he seeks redemption in the window of a traveling food truck, serving up delicious Cuban sandwiches with his young son and loyal line cook. In Chef, Favreau gets back to the basics, combining the best of his Hollywood experience with his innate indie roots. The result is our favorite laugh-out-loud comedy of the year, a perfectly polished indie with Hollywood DNA. Chef, not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando. My guest today is... Author Dan P. Graney, graduate of Stanford, UC Davis, and I like that he's also taught middle school. I did when I uh, left New York City, as many know, uh, because of my parents' health. I got a quick job just because it was quick, and there at a middle school, and three years of the most rewarding of, of my life. I really, children, and that and that I think is at the heart, if I may say, Dan, at what you're talking about. Children to you and me can be people 30s and 20s, but there's still young children who have, like your character, Jenny Alhouse in The Worst Generation. Uh, when she was a child, 
She didn't know the ramifications or the complete significance, I don't imagine, of what she tells us in your book, your novel, The Worst Generation. So what happens if we learn too late? Is that Jenny's uh, challenge, that she learned too late to do anything? No, I don't, I don't think it's ever too late. Uh, um, and that, that includes for my generation, ours. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you always, you always, you, you don't get to choose that, like, like your middle school students uh, mm-hmm. and mine, um, you don't get to choose what you're born into. You get to choose what you do with it. And that's, that's kind of, you know, old, old news at this point. And, uh, and, and so we are where we are. Yes. And, and are we too late? No. It, there is no, there is no such thing. I mean, there is such thing for any one incremental thing. Are, are sea levels going to rise? Are storms going to happen? Um, you know, I think earthquakes are pretty independent of climate change. Um, is, you know, is poverty going to happen? All those things are going to happen, but we can make them better, make, make them less severe, less frequent. We can work to, to do what's right. We're always limited by the condition that we're in, but we try to improve it. Um, we're always limited by the knowledge that we have, but we can try to improve that. And uh, I think that is our, I don't know, I'll say our call as human beings to, to do what's right. And, and it's, you know, I, I think that's the issue. You know, talking about, about seventh graders, I a lot of my earlier career, and still, I'm, I'm involved with our local Audubon, and I, I uh-huh. lead bird walk, and uh, for youth specifically. Um, and I used to work at, uh, years ago, at outdoor schools, and I loved taking the kids out there. And a thing that I learned is, uh, um, in the animal world, uh-huh. uh, the two areas I like to focus on with kids were birds or insects. It's because they were there. You can see, you, know, you take kids out, and in most environments, you don't see a whole bunch of mammals. You don't see a whole bunch of, well, amphibians and reptiles in some areas you can, not where I live so much. Uh-huh. But birds and, and insects, are, they're around. Yes. And, and they're visible. And, uh, and I, I loved it because you could take them out, and, and the kids could, you know, with the binoculars that we provide, could get these incredible great views of the birds. And if you did it right, and if you get a little luck, um, and that connection with our world that could be cultivated there was, it was a, I think, a really beautiful, good, healthy thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and now I I take kids out. I'm in a different place, and and maybe that's a difference, but um, I don't find as many birds. Mm. And there's still, and we can still do what. What I'm talking about, you know, taking the kids out and, and having that connection, but it's not as readily available. And and I think about kids who, who live in places where it's unavailable, uh, or just living in this time, and it's harder to to make that connection. And is it too late? No, it can still be done, but it's harder now. And and right now. Um, studies on the bird life and, and climate change. Audubon is predicting uh, it was some, somewhere around uh, 
60% of North American bird species are expected to lose half of their range, their seasonal range, mm. uh, within my children's lifetime. You know, that's, that's a huge loss of mm. beauty in our world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know not everybody's into the birds, but, but, but it's, it's, it's part of our world. And beauty does matter. And so are we too late? No. But are there things we can do better? Yeah. You know, I, I love birds, by the way, and have at uh, all my houses, I have lots of bird feeders in different times of year, uh, of the year, different different species show up. But what I miss is not just the quantity or even the beauty. I miss also, I miss those things, but I also miss that we don't get, I don't think really, you know, farmers probably do, people who raise animals, although caging them up and slaughtering them maybe not so much they only see the dollar signs but there are plenty of people of the land if you will Uh, like my grandmama for instance who's no longer with us but she understood and would teach me that everything's connected you know it's such an easy phrase to say because we think connection is about cell phones smartphones you know computers and watches etc but but nature is connected and when we take away what nature needs to survive, we're cutting into the food chain, if nothing else. We're blowing up a bridge. That's what we're doing. Because there are bridges that connect us to all of these. You know, we've heard the story, whether Einstein said it or not, about the bees. But we know the pollinators are diminishing. And, uh, you know, birds live off of insects, among other things. And if if you start taking away the pieces of, of nature's food chain... I'm not doubting that it's not too late, but I am asking you as the author of The Worst Generation, how do we correct our M.O.? How do we? You know, uh, um, I, I can't sit here and pontificate answers. Um, I, you know, I have some ideas, certainly. Uh-huh. Uh, but I think it, it takes... Uh, certainly more than, than my ideas or, or ideas that you and I can generate talking here. It, it takes everybody working as as individuals, as families, as communities, uh, as businesses, corporations, um, and as governments. Mm-hmm. Okay, how do we create a better world? And, and first of all, you know, what is a better world? Well, I'm going to say that it's one that is healthy and beautiful, um, you know, and, and by beautiful for me, and that this will vary for some people, but I think I think there's room enough for both, say, architectural beauty mm-hmm. and the kind of beauty that we're talking about, yes. birds, wild nature. And uh, so I think it takes all of us working on that. But, but certainly those issues having to do with energy are huge because we do consume or use a lot of energy and that has tremendous impacts both in the generation of it uh whether it's it's a mining operation and in the at the waste end of it yes um, which have our climate change problems the the gas waste that's changing our our atmosphere and and so those are things that that we need to work on and so yes as individuals Maybe we can reduce our energy consumption. I mean, those are things that we can do. Uh, as companies, we can do that. We can we can make the more efficient automobile. We can, and as governments, we can support that. 
by creating a level field for, say, different companies that work to maybe put the extra research and development dollars into making greater efficiencies. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of ways to deal with this, and, you know, there are a lot, a lot of folks out there who know a lot more about any one area of it than I do. Yeah, I think that's what we need. And, and if we continue to operate, or to, I, I should say, to the extent that we operate selfishly, mm-hmm. and when I say, I mean very small definition of self, uh-huh. um, then we won't do that because I don't care about my waste if all I care about is, you know, me and my household, maybe. Because yes. um, uh, I can ship my waste elsewhere. I'm well off enough that I can do that. Um, and, uh, and so I, I, I think that's what it takes. You know, the narrator in your book, is it a millennial, a, a likable character, a spoiled rich kid, or who does that person, the narrator of uh, The Worst Generation, yeah. who is that? The narrator, the narrator is Jenny Allhouse, whom you mentioned. Yeah. And he is um, narrating, she's speaking to her father. Ah. And uh, so she has, is she a likable person? Um, uh, probably not fully. I I mostly like her. She's she certainly has the wherewithal in her life, the resources to be able to to say things like, "Oh, you screwed up the world, Dad," mm. um, and uh, and she does say that essentially. But, but she's thankful she, too. She's thankful for things that she had in her life. Yes, in her childhood, she in particular. Absolutely is, um, you know. And he did spend time in the story. You know, I mean, when when they were kids, she he, he spent a lot of time teaching her how to kayak on the rivers, mm-hmm. and and, uh, and they did family trips together. Um, so so at that level, you know, I, I think he was mostly a pretty pretty good dad. And does she recognize it? Yes, I think she does. But uh, ultimately, in, in the course of the story, both. Both from her, I'll say, larger, less selfish, more selfless uh, perspective, and then in her own personal life, she comes to see him as doing, I guess, probably more harm than good, and uh, and so she has that that kind of a of joy. Actually, if if it's all right, maybe I'll just read the, her little intro at sure. the beginning of the book. Sure. Um, all right. So, yeah, so she's writing to her dad here. Uh, Dear Dad, the title of this book is incomplete. I began with a torrent of ideas. In love with my father, why I love my father, why I can't forgive my father, those sorts of things. I finally settled on why I blank my father. It seemed that readers could fill in the blank with almost any feeling, and it would be true to my experience and possibly theirs, too. My editor didn't like that, a title with a blank in it. So we argued around. I offered the worst generation. He didn't mean it as a damnation. Maybe it's just bad luck. But with all love, I thought and still think it's true. Jennifer Allhouse. P.S. You'll note that I've had to imagine many of these events in using my real fictions I bet the farm reveal the truth better than their omission would have. Hmm. That's, yeah. (laughs) You know, that's wonderful, uh, Dan. It's, um... It is, as you say, it's a novel, which gives it an opportunity to uh, be read as fiction, but as fiction that 
is the call to action, an awakening. Uh, and as I we said off air, I think what's great even about even a radio conversation like this is that when we when we're forced to think out loud with other people about the situation, we realize it is an enormous global thing, but we, you know, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. It's that kind of thing. We suddenly, the mental stimulus, whoa, that we get and bounce off of each other. The more people do that, the more we can both recognize the challenge and then work together to do something about it. I do think the best thing we can do is that we change ourselves even individually. There's a National Geographic photographer, Joel Satore, who's uh, been on the show, and I wish I could remember the list of things that he he takes. He, he travels the world and takes photographs of species that are endangered so that they are at least recorded in his photographic art. But when I ask him the, uh, things about what, what he can do, he says, look in your backyard and he says things like, you know, planting trees. And uh, he goes on and on with all of these ideas that one can do within their community that changes the environment and changes the way people see things. Dan, give us your website and tell us how we can find out more about The Worst Generation. And also you have another book, Citizens, but how we can use these tools that you're providing to stimulate our imagination and creativity so we're not bogged down by the enormity but inspired to be a part of the solution. There you are. What's your website? That's the short answer. Oh, gosh. And, <laughs> and you know what? I'm, I'm a terrible, anachronistic person. I do not have a website. Oh, okay. Um, we can find the books on Amazon, yes? Out there in all the usual places, yeah. uh, you know, Barnes and Noble, your local bookstore. Yes. Um, probably have to order at your local bookstore, but um, you know it, it, it's out there. So you can just just uh, you know search for worst book of any of those places, any of those retailers. And I do have a little blog on uh, Goodreads.com, and the Amazon site will link to that. Okay. Uh, sorry, I'm 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 anachronistic that <laughs> way. <laughs> I'm, I'm watching the birds. <laughs> <laughs> well, that may be the wisest thing to do because when I need to relax, I do 30, 40 miles an hour on back roads and I find places where not only I want to take photographs, but where if I just sit in the car and wind down the window or better yet walk around and find a place to sit, you can hear so much life going on that's not human life, but everything else. And yet we're, we just speed by it most of the time. What do you think about that? How do we, do we begin by reconnecting with nature? Is that too oversimplified, too overdone? I, I think that is one beautiful piece, but I, I really think, I think, let, let me say it this way. Um, okay, I, I've been told that my book is, is too bleak. Okay, mm -hmm. and and I can understand that criticism. I have to own that. Mm -hmm. It's not how I am, how I feel, or how I approach things. But it, I can understand that reaction to the book. Um, ultimately, you know, Jenny Allhouse, the the narrator in the story. Yes, she is. 
I think is pretty negative. But she, for all of, I've, I've tried to make her and her situation as real as I can. Ultimately, she, of course, is a fictional character, mm-hmm. and she's locked into her 288 pages, and you and I aren't. Yes. And we get to make choices that she's not allowed to because she's, you know, print on paper. Um, uh, and so whether whether it means get connected with nature, whether it means think unselfishly in how we live, mm-hmm. how we vote, what we, you know, the, the breadth of our, of our intake of information, our understanding of our own limitations, mm-hmm. all of those things, whatever, whatever an individual does, I, again, I... I think I think that has to be uh, a choice that people make, and when we make that choice, and as we make that choice individually, as businesses, as communities, as governments, that's where we'll make improvement. And so, yes, for me, a connection with nature is is a hugely beautiful thing. When I when I wrote the book, I went into it primarily coming out of that that more environmental, not not seeing watching birds, but, but the environmental perspective. I found that as I wrote it, I got swept up more into into looking at the economic situation because that is how we interact mm. um, in our, I don't know, social political world, uh, or at least part of it. And, and so a lot of the book goes goes there more into the whole economic situation that mm. her dad had a career in finance uh, in the book. But I'm trying to look at, okay, how does that, how does that global stuff mm-hmm. impact us as individuals? Yes. And I think how we impact that global stuff, you know, uh, I, I, think, I think everybody, every individual needs to make that choice. Okay. And we do have freedom of choice still. And I've been talking to Dan Graney. Dan P. Graney, the author of Worst Generation, The Worst Generation, uh, A Myopic Prosperity. And I hope you will find the book on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or anywhere else. It's out there, Dan tells us. Um, And I'm looking forward to finishing it. So how's that? Okay, Dan, thank you so very much for being on the show. Are you out in California? Where are you? I, I am out in California, so when you were talking about hurricanes and tornadoes, mm. you know, out here, uh, it's drought. It's drought, yes. Yes. Uh, so, yes, I'm in California. All right, well. And thank you so much, Marcello. It's a pleasure talking with you, and, and from California, my best to you and, and all the folks in your area. And same to you as well. Take care. Bye now. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. Stay with us, as we'll be right back with a final comment from The Reasonable Voice. Discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. Spellbound is a 2002 documentary film about eight young teens, elite contestants in their competition of choice, the 1999 Scripps National Spelling Bee. These devoted and goal-oriented children take enormous pride in their spelling skills. In their daily lives, they may be shunned as the class nerds, but here they are the masters of their fate, the captains of their souls. Is it any wonder that they thrive on the achievement and the recognition? So do we. Spell cabotinage. 
It's not even in most dictionaries. We cringe as our new friends ever so painfully search memory banks for clues. So physically hard does one contestant concentrate that it seems letters are wrung from his brain as water from a sponge. Spell apocope. We are with them for the pain of the bell the moment a wrong letter is uttered. No takebacks here, vanquished from the field of battle. And we share the joy and relief when no bell rings. Life goes on for another round. In Spellbound, we have a great documentary letting us get to know this special breed of children as they struggle to become the number one speller in the land. And now for the win, spell Logoria. Indie Film Minute, not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard around the world. Patriotism and citizenship, religion and politics. While there is little more patriotic than storming the beaches of Normandy, it is just as courageous to suffer civilian neglect after tours of duty. There's more to patriotism than the Patriot Act, Citizens United, or day trips south of the border down Mexico way. American citizenship deserves more than misquoting historical documents or confusing a Pledge of Allegiance with a Declaration of Independence or mistaking Guns, God, and Freedom Caucus for America the Beautiful. There's more to love thy neighbor as thyself than espousing religious freedom while menacing freedom's greatest privilege with voter ID laws, political gerrymandering, and transforming faith, hope, and charity begins at home by diminishing education at degrading school infrastructures. There's more to justice than blocking the restoration of voting rights to those former felons who did the crime but served the time for beware, a society of revolving doors from Congress to K Street and schools to prisons risks being crushed under its own corrupted correctional collateral. And what of the humanity of providing affordable health care rather than being awash in the thrill of sticking the masses with addicting chill pills hedged by dealers dealing in insurance and pharmaceuticals? There can be more to our American life than diminishing dreams, but ultimately is already here. And those too distracted to deny the powerful denial of truth standing before us allow the powerful to reap what the rest sow. Though born out of war, freedom to peacefully assemble has always been an American ideal, less so misogyny and bigotry, and there is more to being a patriot than blocking Supreme Court nominees while costuming sexual harassment in a black robe of silence hiding in plain sight. There's more to standing up for our country than standing during the rocket's red glare, and more to honoring our veterans than a government shutdown. It's not enough to display old glory for all to see until weather rending it filthy and tattered like a warrior forgotten. There is more to American patriotism than saluting a flag while denigrating the unity and civility for which it stands. A pledge of our allegiance to each other without prejudice is more patriotic than flag-waving or struggling to remember the lyrics of a challenging melody before sports events. Patriotism is not being media-numbed into glossing over a mother being gunned down while strolling with her children. 
Being an all-American citizen begins with being a decent human being to all Americans. Citizenship flourishes when liberally nourished with civil participation in the civics of our nation. Patriotism is not how loud we shout, for if we but journey together from disunity to community, the ugly American roar is silenced. The very nemesis of patriotism is the injustice in the words of an extreme hard-right Virginia amendment, spousal abuse, rape, trafficking, the falsely convicted serving decades in prison, while one caught in the act of sexual assault receives a six-month sentence. True patriotism accepts accountability and celebrates contribution, especially from those who have been denied full citizenship. Our history is resplendent with Americans like Sojourner Truth and Harriet Beecher Stowe, Harriet Tubman and Elizabeth Caddy, Alice Jones Rhinelander and Susan B. Anthony, Marian Anderson and Eleanor Roosevelt, Mary McLeod Bethune and Ruth Williams Karma, Fannie Lou Hammer and Jeanette Rankin, Shirley Chisholm and Alice Paul, Dorothy Height and Betty Ford, Aretha Franklin and Barbara Streisand, Oprah Winfrey, and, if she can be saved from police by coastal trafficking, possibly Celeste Guap. Real patriots preserve, protect, and defend not only America's symbols, but the rights and privileges for which they stand. We are a nation of nations on a planet we share with all life upon it. Worshipping the symbols of exceptionalism is not exceptional, but letting world peace begin with America would be. Join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.